Well, 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 good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. You're listening to Kevin Garba from Sydney, Australia, way down south. It is um, Friday, the 30th of September, and you haven't heard from us for a little while. I think it's about a year almost. Um, time flies when you're trying to build a startup. You're listening to episode 64 of the podcast and guess what we are back ready raring to go we have a new website check out itsamonkey.com you're listening to the itsamonkey.com podcast where we talk about everything relating to the tech economy we interview thought leaders um, and uh, we back into it we're going to come to you every second week hopefully with the view to coming to you uh, every week at some stage but we're back and i've got some great guests this week lined up um, firstly, my co-host this week is uh, the design leader at Manage Flitter, Kate Frappel. Kate, it's, it's great to have you in our quote-unquote studio. <laughs> Thank you very much. Later on in the episode, um, we're also going to play an interview I did with John Westenberg, uh, Sydney-based um, Sydney writer. He is uh, founder of Creatomic and uh, chief marketing officer at Speedlancer. And uh, John writes... Um, prolifically on medium and he's a fantastic writer fantastic thinker about um, startups entrepreneurialism and uh, we had a chat about all sorts of different topics and that's coming up later on in the show Um, as usual the structure is we talk a little bit about news um, latest news and the latest products and then um, we get into the the interview and have a little bit of a discussion around um, what went on in the interview. You can follow us on Twitter. We are Monkey Podcast. You can email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. My name is Kevin Garber. I'm the CEO of Manage Flitter. Um, hopefully you've tried Manage Flitter. Um, it's a great set of tools to help you with all your bits and pieces on Twitter. Um, but that's enough of that. Let's get straight into the podcast. So a um, couple of, uh, as always, our industry moves um, incredibly fast. Always lots to talk about. But I was really interested to see last week or a couple of weeks ago that Google launched a new product. Um, I think Google does a terrific job on some of their products. Obviously, they got amazing teams and amazing uh, people to work on them even google plus which um, we poke fun at and we call it google minus um, <laughs> you know that actually it was quite an interesting user experience um, and i was interested to see a couple of weeks ago that they launched a new product a messaging app called allo um, kate how how similar is this is this just taking a direct stab at facebook messenger and whatsapp or how you know they're coming in very late to the party yeah, I feel like they're um, it's sort of an integration of, of Snapchat, Facebook Messenger, and WhatsApp all in one. Um, I mean, there's some obvious advantages. You know, you can sort of send someone your location, and a lot of things are inside the app, um, which is different to Messenger. Yeah, we tried it out um, before the show, and um, I have to say, I really like it. Um, it's it's they use machine learning and artificial intelligence to tr- to try um, have predictive uh, responses and um, you know that, that uh, Google says that's going to get better over time. You brought up a good point as well though that when you're giving predictive text answers, it's yeah. it's it changes um, it changes the the feel you have towards the conversation. It almost feels like you you're not really conversing and you're sort of cheating. Yeah, sort of the lazy person's messenger. Um, 
Yeah, it's an interesting one. It would be interesting to see. I mean, do you use, I don't know, you use an Apple, I use a, an Android. I mean, they've got some sort of pre intelligent predictive words on Android. I assume, mm. I don't know if they've got that on Apple as well, but if you say... Yeah, they do. Um, do you use those words a lot? Not personally. I tend to just type it out, but I know like looking at my dad, for example, he'll... He will look for the predictive words because it's faster to click them than it is yeah. for him to type it. Yeah. So, uh, and I mean, that's an interesting market as well. I, you know, I think of this generation that, I mean, I think they don't enjoy using technology. I think for them to have a messaging app that just sort of suggests a sentence Sense. for them. Yes. I think they're, they're using some kind of technology that, that remembers your style of writing. So I think I read an article that said if you're a ha-ha person or a lol person, it'll recommend based on what you've used previously. Yeah, I know. And, um, yeah, I think there's definitely, you know, for the, 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 the less technically um, comfortable people, I can certainly see the benefits of that. I, I like the integration with some of the Google, um, you know, other other aspects like Google Maps and search. I like the fact that you can adjust the text very easily. So mm, you can get some. One of the challenges with the written word is that it's hard to get sentiment and tone across, right? Yes. And people read things incorrectly. And it's um, the fact that you can adjust the size of the font in the message. It's really simple, but really clever, right? Yeah. And it has a really fitting name. I think it's whisper shout. So you can, if you make it bigger, you're shouting. If you make it smaller, you're whispering. Yeah, so that's uh, that, that's that was a good feature. Um, they were they did come at a, under some criticism because they aren't encrypted. Like WhatsApp now is encrypted. The messaging is encrypted um, as standard. Um, they came under some other criticism that they store your messages on their servers, but they've got an incognito mode, right? Mm. Which is encrypted yes. and doesn't store the messages apparently. Now, I'm not quite sure why they wouldn't make that just the standard um, flavor. I'm not quite sure why. Don't know. I mean, for me, that side of things is more Snapchat's field that you can put a timer on how long that message stays around. But in the incognito mode, the message still stays, right? No, you can, it, you set a timer and you can erase it after oh, an hour. You? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So that's why I feel like they're going into Snapchat territory mm. as well. And on Android devices, apparently, you can draw on the image, same as Snapchat. Go Android. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Just no. I mean, Kate, we've been knee-deep also in the designing logos. We've, have, we've got a new project on the go called Manage Social. We won't talk about that much at the moment, but if you want to check it out, um, go to the Twitter account, Manage Social, and the website, Manage Social. We've been working on logos. What do you, what do you think of this Google Allo logo? It looks very similar to all of other Google's logos. Um, they've definitely got a strong style guide that they're sticking to. I mean, just about everything I can think of has got that sort of line in the middle. It looks like it's folding in half. Mm. And they've done that again. Yeah, I'm, I'm not... It, it's, it's okay. It's not... Um, I, I, it's not super memorable to me, but it's it's okay. But I guess you know, with 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 the company of their size, with an ecosystem of their size, um, very tricky to to break out and uh, mm. you know uh, differentiate yourself. I like the color, I like the yeah. color. It's sort of like it's almost mustard, but not. Um, so it's quite yellow. It's, but I it's like in that. A, a 
A speech bubble, and you hate speech bubbles. I hate speech bubbles. I just <laughs> hate speech bubbles. That's good. You go to these enterprise conferences, and oh, you just see speech bubbles. Um, it's yeah, but it's it's not a speech bubble as well, which I sort of you know. Anyway, that's Allo. There's a, it's it's yeah. out for Android. It's out for iOS. Um, so give it a go. I quite like it. It'll be interesting to see um, if it if it actually takes off. Um, but mm. you know, it has. Uh, it's 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 got quite a nice uh, quite a nice feel to it. Um, does it does it integrate with things like Giphy? Not sure, but they've they've got the stickers like um, Messenger does. Uh-huh. You can send like animated stickers, and they've got them all in different packs. Um, yeah, but they think the advantage as well is you can actually talk to the Google Assistant and bring the Google Assistant into your group conversations. But what can you get assistance with? anything so like basically like, like weather so when's the next train into the city yep okay you say that in your conversation so i'll get the next train when's the next train and it'll recommend so the whole the whole bot um the bot world coming to life i guess yeah you just have to tag the assistant in your conversation and she can step in and recommend same with the weather you know if it's sunny tomorrow if you tag google in it it'll tell you whether it's sunny tomorrow Fantastic! I, I I'm like I'm liking it. I'm really really yeah. liking it. I have to say it's um, it's I'm, I'm going to try get some of my friends friends onto it and use I use I use everything probably as similar to you. I use WhatsApp, um, Facebook Messenger, texts, yep. Kick. Um, no, I haven't used Kick. I've got a few friends that for whatever reason like to use Kick, um, and um, I don't use Snapchat though. No. No. Uh, I do. I, do, I, I don't really have a, anyone. I got an odd yeah. friend on Snapchat. It's sort of for me. It usually starts out. Someone sends you a sort of a generic photo with a caption, and then if you reply, then they'll use the chat functionality. Right. Yeah. Twitter DMs. They're starting to build that out. Finally, finally, mm. they're starting to build out <laughs> Twitter DMs where they're adding some features, and you know, you, there's read receipts now, and um, mm. you know, or as Twitter, as Twitter. Um, disciples who have long wanted twitter dms to just come to life yeah. um so maybe they'll they'll build that out um, rumors that disney's gonna buy twitter um which will be interesting um but um yeah rumors are just rumors that's uh, that's a chat for another day um apple there's always exciting things happening with apple um iphone 7 finally released what's what's the latest and greatest what's what's exciting and new about iphone 7 sell me waterproof (laughs) you know what that is very relevant because i dropped my phone in the bath a couple of weeks ago managed to dry it out right yeah it's working fine now okay Uh, my android my htc i love htcs Mm -hmm. um i did buy another one though because i'm paranoid and i've yet to migrate to it but i'm going to assume this one's going to die soon rather than later so maybe waterproof is awesome Waterproof, but mm-hmm. only to a meter. That's and all you only need, Only for thirty minutes. That's all you need. Yeah, it sort of just saves from accidents. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. But there's lots of um, I've seen lots of memes going around that they're going to send all the rice companies out of business. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read the story about some chap in upstate New York that um, he went swimming with his uh, iPhone and mm. fell out his pockets, and some chap in the afternoon, um, he was in the morning in the afternoon, found the phone, yeah. and it was still at the bottom, right? And he shipped it out. He dried it in rice, and this phone uh, kicked on for another month, and then wow. died. Yeah. Quite impressive, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can find it and give it back. It's not broken. Um, 
So waterproof, what else do we have going on for? Uh, a new styling to the outside. So there's the normal like space gray and then there's also gloss black now. Okay, but the, the form factor, it's the same size? Yep, same size, same. I think they've got another camera now. I saw there was some some mess up with the upgrade process with old phones. I mean, even James, who used to be on this podcast with me, he tweeted out about that the upgrade required you to have one button working and his button wasn't working and he had to yes. go back. And I didn't follow the whole, uh, but it seemed like they, they, they didn't factor in some use case or some edge case or something. They're assuming that your home button works. Right. But so, that's a fair assumption, though. Yeah, but some people, like, there is a workaround. So if you don't want to pay to get it fixed, you right. can have, like, a little home button on your actual screen. Right. Um, and so those people would have got stuck because they've taken, you can't swipe to open the phone anymore. Right. You actually have, if you swipe, you get notifications. Right. Um, but if you press the button and use your fingerprint, then you get in. Mm, so if you don't have fingerprint, I think you have to double tap to get into your phone. And if your button doesn't work, then you're screwed. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, any, other, any other exciting bits and pieces? I know they were the big thing. They removed the headphone jack. Yep. Yeah, big move from them. They didn't, which I thought they did actually. I thought they put the AirPods, which are the uh-huh. new earphones. I thought they put them in with the 7, but no. They've got headphones still with the wires, uh-huh. um, but they have a different output so what is it go a, into the a usb-c or what, what's the actual oh it's the the it's jack pr- that you charge with okay so it's a proprietary apple thing yep okay because my phone um i've got usb-c for charging um but it's also got a headphone jack but i know there are usb-c headphones mm, that's but interesting. they also added in with the seven they added in an adapter so if you want to use your old earphones, you still can. I mean, Bluetooth headphones are really taking off as well. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they're becoming incredibly popular. I've got a Bluetooth. I've got a Plantronics that I use when I exercise and walk, and I, I love I love them. It's yeah. just one less thing. I'm going to upgrade my office headphones as well. I've got these great um, sort of sound isolating, sound cancelling headphones, and they were pretty expensive. They were about yeah. 400 bucks. Now I'm keen to see where the air the new AirPods come out. I think they're coming out end of October in Australia. What I think, what I just don't like about those AirPods um, is that they're in two pieces, right? Yeah, I one mean for each ear. I mean, people are always losing headphones. I mean, I've probably spent probably $3,000 on headphones in the last five years. <laughs> wow. and, you know, like like I've lost a lot of headphones. Mm. Um, and now there's, there's two pieces. So, so you've got mm. two things to lose. Well, there's two arguments. There's the argument that people are going to leave them around. They're a choking hazard for mm-hmm. children and animals. Or there's the other argument that they're so well designed that you won't take them out. That's a, that's an interesting argument. Yeah. That's, and, I, and I can sort of see that where it just seamlessly, as you work, walk from work to home, so it will just click into different things. And yeah. When I was at TechCrunch Disrupt last year or the year before, there were some, one of the startups had some ear devices that they weren't a hearing aid, but they were like a sound optimization headphone where it was, mm. you, you know, there were different profiles to optimize certain sounds and filter down certain things. And it was, yeah. you know, and I think I can see us moving to that world and even to the point where you can have a translating, right? You yep. can have a translating mode. So you arrive in Tokyo, you flip that on and suddenly you're seeing Tokyo in English. And now, 
yeah, of course, it's always better to learn the language, but let's be realistic here. How yeah. cool would it be to for that to happen? It'd be amazing. Well, this is the same thing. They were um, arguing that because it integrates with Siri and it's got a microphone in it, it's noise cancelling, you're not going to want to take it out. But you could also have, you know, essentially Siri telling you your notification, your next meeting's in 10 minutes. You know, it's like it's not disrupting your conversation. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, there's definitely not. And I think it will appeal to certain people. I would love that. Like you and I both have a smartwatch. You've got an Apple Watch. I've got, you know, Samsung. We, we both enjoy that. A lot of people, you know, hate that. So it may, may, may be a niche. But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether whether they take. Oh, do those, head, those headphones only work with Apple though, right? I would assume. You can use them on others, but they're optimized for Apple. Right. Okay, yeah. so they they wouldn't have some of the Siri features and everything else. Yeah, yeah. No. and they announced a new Apple Watch as well. Mm, series two, right? So you still on the Series one? Yeah. What's yeah. the advantage of the Series two? Is I would assume processor. Yep, they're waterproof. Series one's not waterproof, no. so you can actually well, swim with them. So you can swim with the um, Series two. Series one, you can if you rinse your hands in the tub and it gets a bit wet, that's fine, but you can't swim with it. Right. And Can't and submerge. And anything else exciting? Um, they've got GPS tracking now. Uh-huh. So they've sort of really pushed the fitness side of things. Uh-huh. Um, they've got new wristbands. It's supposed to be 25, I think, percent brighter uh-huh. than other watches. Um, yeah, they've got a new app called Breathe. It sort of teaches you to take deep breaths. <laughs> <laughs> we all need that, <laughs> you know. We we all actually need that. Um, there's uh, it's 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 a much overlooked aspect. I won't go into the whole yoga breathing thing, but anyway, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah. And I mean, you you've been using it for a long time, and I notice you have it on every day. Uh, you still what what are your favorite apps? Well, you you with ANZ Bank, which is a big Australian yeah. bank, the only one I think that uses Apple Pay. Uh, they were for a long time. I think other banks have caught up. Okay, so you use Apple Pay, so you tap your watch. You use yep. that a lot? Yep. Okay, so... Um, Especially self-serve. So if I go to Woolies. Yep. Supermarket. Um, yeah, you go to the self-serve checkouts and you don't even have to take your wallet out. And so the payment, which is cool. And I'm, I'm super frustrated that I don't have any payment option on my Samsung gear mm. yet. It's just a tap and, you know, because... There's Android Pay, there's Samsung Pay, there's, and somehow the integrations haven't quite worked with my bank yet, and they all—it's all still early days. There's a lot of politics around it. I mean, I believe one of the reasons that that the banks didn't take up Apple Pay is that Apple wants a cut. Um, okay. uh, uh, Apple wants a cut of every transaction, over and above the cut of the credit card as well. So it's you're getting so many fingers in this pie. Yeah, you know, um, but ANZ were the first, I believe, and, uh, you know, it's... After American Express. Right, Amex yeah. as well. So um, so what other apps you use regularly? You use for notifications, which is the big one. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, I still get lots of, like, Facebook notifications. Most of the apps that I download will push through notifications. Um, but I guess the main thing that that I don't like is that when I click on it, it only still give me a preview of a message. You, you can't go into the actual app. I can't. No, yeah, I can't open the actual app. Yeah. But weather, weather's a yep. good app on the watch. Um, what else? Maps, especially when I'm driving. 
I love using maps because I don't have to worry about my phone. I don't have to look down. I've always just constantly got these little notifications on my wrist of when to turn. Yeah, I've, I've tried maps with my Samsung and it needs a third party. I think one of the problems, and this is where Apple's doing well, the ecosystem, the app ecosystem for the watch is probably much better than um, the one for the Samsung Gear where people just don't some don't seem to be building that many apps. And the third party app that I used for, for maps it just doesn't update quick enough so it's mm. you know it's 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 only half useful it's the type of thing that just really needs to be right if you are going to use it um yeah. it's the one reason I, if i would ever think of getting an apple would actually be the watch yeah. um because i really i think they've done a fantastic job with it i think it's going to continue yeah. to to yeah. become more popular from what i can see they've definitely made some good progress with the series two as well the um They've even integrated a, which I found interesting, a swimming app. So they're counting your strokes and you can program how many laps you've done. Um, they've also done for uh, people in wheelchairs mm-hmm. as cool. well. Like they can track their exercise. They track basically any type of exercise. They're not just tracking steps now. That's cool. I mean, um, yeah, exercise is one of the big use cases for the for the wearables. Um one of the things I use it for mainly is you, you get you can obviously have a whole heap of different watch faces on the watch and um, there's a watch face that summarizes nearly everything so it gives you weather steps you know some notifications um, all in the one watch face and I like that mm. because I can at a glance I sort of get this little dashboard of you know what's going on in my life and that's mm. that's quite useful I don't find myself actually using any of the apps these days particularly on the watch I've tried and I'll continue to try um, um, but I still haven't quite hit the sweet spot yet um, and and I can I sometimes reply to WhatsApp messages even just with you know smiley or yes or something like that. It's actually got a full keyboard the Samsung Gear. Oh really? Pops up a full ski- uh, pops up a full oh, keyboard wow. and it's actually quite easy to type and it's got predictive yeah. text and it's actually but you're sitting with your phone in your pockets and most of the time it's a little bit easier just to pull out your phone. So there's no yeah. huge advantage there, but it's I have used it a few times. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I think on the Apple Watch, they only give you like standard answers on my way mm. or a smiley or something. You can't type. The, problem with the, the idea is to talk to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I've got the, the talking as well, but yeah, I've used it on that occasion. Still, still early days for these watches, but they'll, they'll, um, they'll, they'll come right. Um, I think the exciting thing is uh, once the AirPods come in, the integration between the AirPods and the watch. That will be an interesting space to watch. Pardon the pun. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, well, what I think will also be interesting is when you can put a SIM card in the watch or you don't need the phone to use the watch, right? So when you go yes. out at night, perhaps, um, maybe you can just leave your phone at home when the only things that you're going to use is Uber, maybe get a few notifications and that's it and you don't need to take your phone. Yeah. So when the f- when the watch exists and can exist effectively as a mini phone, mm. almost, yep. then I think um, you know that's when I'll be pretty interested. So so a long a long way to go. These companies are still playing around on the fringes, um, but um, definitely yeah. on our way to a. Have you seen that movie Her? 
I've heard a lot about it. Yeah, no, that's sort of the I've same heard it's idea. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, it's a great movie. The um, main character has essentially an earpiece and it just rules his life and everyone else's life. And um, yeah, I feel like that's sort of the direction we're heading in. We're absolutely, we, we're halfway there. I think the next uh, 50 years are going to be super, super interesting to see what happens. And um, yeah, n- technology, the, you know, the horse has left, has bolted, so to speak. But um, anyway, you're listening to Kevin Garber, CEO of Manage Flitter, and Kate Frappel, who's the design lead at Manage Flitter. Um, Kate actually started a couple of years ago as an intern with us mm-hmm. and has just gone from strength to strength. She is um, very humble, so she's probably going to be blushing as I say anything about her. So I won't, yep. <laughs> I, I, I won't say I won't say anything more. Um, and um, we're going to take a very short break. And uh, after the break, we're going to be talking to John Westenberg, who is the founder of Creatomic, the CMO at Speedlancer. Also, we'd love to hear from you. If you're listening to this podcast, email us, podcast at itsamonkey.com. We'll give your company a shout out. We'll give your startup a shout out. We'll give your Twitter account a shout out. We'd love to hear from you. Um, also, tweet us at Monkey Podcast. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, drop us a line. Let us know if you think someone would be a good guest. Uh, drop us a line let us know any other feedback good bad or ugly let us know we love to engage with our users check out our new website um, it's a monkey.com we'd love comments on some of the show notes etc you know we'd love to engage with you and uh, you know build a, a community so to speak around all of this we're going to take a short break and we'll be back with john westenberg the it's a monkey podcast is brought to you by check dog Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. You're back with the It's a Monkey podcast where we talk about everything relating to the tech economy. We talk with tech thought leaders and people deep in the industry. And I'm happy to say uh, we have someone in studio, which we don't usually get. It's usually the Skype um, interviews with people across the world somewhere. Um, right across from me is the... is the. Are, are, you, are you internet famous yet, John? I don't know if I'm internet famous. I'm kind of famous in my in my own backyard, in my head, and that kind of thing. I think there are people in Silicon Valley who might know me or hate me or not care. But well, if pe- when people have an opinion on you, you've sort of you've sort of succeeded, right? I kind of think so. Yeah, I mean, it's like Nicolas Cage. And a lot of people hate him, but at least he's Nicolas Cage. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm happy to uh, have John Westenberg uh, with us in the Manage Flitter podcast studio. He's the founder of Creatomic and the CMO at Speedlancer. And um, I discovered some of his articles a few months ago, and I was very excited to see that a writer of the quality of John um, was right in my backyard, so to speak, right in Sydney town. And we've stayed in touch. And uh, I managed to twist his proverbial arm um, and um, invite him into the podcast. So welcome, John. Thank you. So I first discovered you by your article, 
building a startup doesn't make you special. Now, I, I found that a really interesting piece. Um, you know, we, we, you knee deep in the startup stuff, I'm knee deep in the startup stuff. And I think um, as much as, you know, building startups is difficult, at the same time, um, it really um, is quite a privilege to have the opportunity to do a startup as opposed to uh, not go to war or uh, be, you know, um, looking for your next daily meal. And I think sometimes um, we start buying into our own um, mythology almost um, and use warlike metaphors and things like that, you know. Um, so that and and it was a very bold, confident article. So um, yeah, what uh, what was the what was the seed? Was there some? Did you read something in particular that that sort of annoyed you? That was the genesis of that article, the inspiration for that article. Yeah, so it was a whole bunch of things. Um, I spent a lot of time on Twitter reading a lot of things from you know VCs, startup founders, all this kind of thing. And there's this whole vibe that I get all the time from people who act like there's something special because they're building the future. You know, they're they're on the next level. They're enlightened human beings because they built a tech you know, web app or some kind of platform. And it's this attitude I've never really gelled with. You know, people talk about Elon Musk as if he's you know, ahead of everyone else or above us as some kind of better human being. Or they'll hold up Bill Gates the same way. Or they'll hold up the next 20-something founder who's done something in their garage as though they're some kind of saint, you know? Um, and I think the real catalyst was someone talking about the morning routines of people who are changing the world, like um, the guys from Snapchat. And it got me thinking, it was like, okay, building a startup is a cool thing. You know, it's not something to be ashamed of, but it also doesn't make you better than the rest of humanity. And it, and it, and it doesn't give you more privilege, it doesn't give you the right to treat other people's industries or jobs as though they don't matter. You know, you have to consider that Sure, you're, you're building a startup, but at the end of the day, all you are is someone building a business. Jason Lemkin from Sasta. I uh, don't know if you're familiar with him and his writings. Yeah, I follow him on Twitter, yeah. Yeah, super, super smart guy. And um, someone asked him a while back, and they said, you know, after you've sold your second business, I think he sold one of his businesses to Adobe, um, and then he became an investor in SaaS businesses. Someone asked him, why don't you go and start another business? And he said, um, you know, starting a business and being a, 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 a tech CEO or being a CEO and a founder is like a tour of duty. And he feels he just doesn't have it left in him mm. to, to do another tour of duty. So, um, you know, I, I, I think the intensity is, is certainly there, but, I th uh, you know, it is, it is a real intensity and a real... Um, uphill battle in a sense, but I think we still do have to maintain perspective that um, it is still just building a startup. Yeah, that's right. I mean, sure, the hours are long and it's a lot of pressure and you could fail. Lots of entrepreneurs do struggle with mental health because of the pressure of building a startup. But at the same time, there's all kinds of other people out there who are working jobs that you know, suck a whole lot more, uh, jobs that they don't have equity in, jobs that they hate, that they have to get up every morning and do. And that's way more of a struggle for them, you know. So just because you know life gets hard for entrepreneurs sometimes doesn't make us more special than someone who's got to get up at four a.m. and go and work in a factory to support their family. You know, I mean, it doesn't make us less special, but we, we just because we're, we're hustling hard and we're doing all this shit and we've got so much on our plates, that as well doesn't make us next level human beings. It just means that we've made a choice to do something which is tough, and it's a good choice, but it, it's not a choice that makes us better just by nature having made it. And it's a really privileged choice. Yeah, it is. You know, as there well. are 
the ability to just strike out on your own and start a business. That's not something everyone can do. And I think uh, some of the young uh, founders today don't realize how privileged they are that they can start up a business with things like AWS, right? Yeah, absolutely. In the old days, you had to raise money or use a credit card is because a dedicated server was minimum like 20K a month, right? Yeah. So if you wanted a dedicated server, which you sort of needed at the, at the minimum to, to run a decent web business, that's 20K a month before you bring any, anything through the door. Absolutely. And I mean, the average cost of starting a business has dropped to like one sixth of what it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. That's massive. Um, I remember many years ago, I went to uh, listen to a talk by um, an, a Sydney entrepreneur, also originally South African, called David Shane. He um, um, built a business called Comtech, which landed up being bought by Di Data, Dimension Data, the big um, s sort of IT integration company. And he said, you know, when he sold his business, his wife said to him, y you know, you really deserve it. You've worked really, really hard. And he said, you know, that guy we go to on the corner, that guy's got the fruit shop. And he's there every morning <laughs> at 6 a.m. Yeah. up until 6 p.m. He works really, really hard, you know, and he's never going to get a payday, you know, like this. And in reflecting of how lucky he is that after working so hard, he can, he could, and I think he sold his business at the time. Gee, I don't remember, it was 200 or 300, something very substantial. Mm. Um, and to get that type of payoff. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it doesn't happen for everyone. And it is an incredible privilege if that happens to you. Um, even but starting any business, any business with that kind of growth, is just something you're lucky if you can get to do. Yeah, and no, I I, li I like <laughs> building a startup doesn't make you a special s snowflake. And yeah, start that's right. And startup founders are not owed shit. And I think. Yeah, this, this stuff is tough. I mean, sometimes I chat to people and they say, oh, if I stumble upon the right idea, if I meet the right investor, or if, if some other planets align, well, you know, it's it's not going to, it's it's the, the world's not going to conspire to help create a business for you. That's right. And I mean, you see the same thing with, with situations like the Uber situation. You know, so people think that, hey, the government should not be having laws that protect taxis or the government should not be stopping companies from doing whatever they want without regard to what the law is. But at the end of the day, just because you built a new app that lets you change the way things used to be doesn't mean that you can without any repercussions. You know, we can't just change the entire world on a whim because we don't like it. When it, when it comes down to creating disruption, you don't just disrupt things you don't like in the world. You have to really look at how what you're doing will change things for the better. And I think that, you know, while, while I love Uber, don't get me wrong, I do love Uber. I can't stand tra taking taxis, but the world doesn't have to change itself to fit with your vision. Sometimes well, also, I mean, I mean, there's a reason why there's laws and due process yeah. in place. You know, you can't just um, suddenly decide that, uh, you know, it's more effective to drive on the right side of the road mm. and away you go. There's laws and due process and there's, there's lives involved. I mean, you look at the, um, you know, people's livelihoods. You look at the self-driving sort of phenomenon that's coming along. I mean, I, I think... I think transportation is one of the biggest industries in the world in terms of employment, mm. right? People yeah. driving cars and trains and and all sorts of things. And um, they're going to be out of a job. Now, it's not cool if you're the person whose job that's, you know, it's cool if, you, yeah. if you've created the self-driving car. And in, but a lot of people, that's their livelihood. That's their bread and butter. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't say to the people who are building self-driving cars, okay, you shouldn't do that because you'll put people out of a job. You know, I, don't, I don't believe that technology has to move forward. 
But I think if you're someone right now who's looking at disrupting that industry, at building self-driving cars, you have to at least spare a moment to think about the people you're putting out of work. Have a sensitivity have to it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Not, not act like everyone is stupid for not agreeing with your vision. You have to understand where other people are coming from and realize that just because this might be a good thing in the long run, it's going to suck for a few people. And if you don't listen to them and acknowledge those feelings, acknowledge the people you're, you're kind of putting out of work or disadvantage, giving a disadvantage to, you know, you have to acknowledge that. And I have to say, you know, I think it's quite a... Um, it's quite an Australian trait in a way. I think, um, you know, the, the humility and, and the sensitivity um, to that, y you know, maintaining that egalitarianism. You know, I think, I think the, uh, America, is, and, and I absolutely love America, but for different reasons, I love Australia. Um, it's more Darwinian, more evolutionary, mm. you know, and it's, it's, it's a little bit more cutthroat. I mean, I think what we're talking about here, I don't know if this conversation happens much in America. Maybe not as much as it should, I don't know. Um, I, I definitely feel that you know, here in Australia we have this idea of the Aussie battler, you know, mm. the average working mums and dads who, you know, people care about. Politicians talk about it all the time. We worry about the average Australian family and what their lives are like. And so I think we, we do stop to spare a thought for them a whole lot more than, than they might do in other places. Yeah, there's a humility here. Um, you know, I, I, I tell this story sometimes where a few years ago with the Managed Better co-founder, James Peter, we were at the TechCrunch Disrupt Conference and um, there, was, there was a rapper on stage, Chameleonaire. Have you heard of Chameleonaire? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that guy. Yeah, I might have even told you this story where he was on stage and he was saying, you know, I started on the, the streets and selling mixtapes and I worked my way up and had a couple of number one hits. I don't know, I think he may even won a Grammy or something. Uh, you know, he, he, he got some sort of success and then got into tech as some of these guys do. And he was, and I was sitting in between James, who was an Australian, and another friend who was an American, you know, and I said to my American friend, I said, you know, if this guy was talking like this in Australia, people would just go, oh, you know, just what an idiot, just so full of himself absolutely yeah. and james who's australian he said yep that's exactly what i was thinking yeah. <laughs> so did I you i think so australians have to some extent a bit of a tall poppy syndrome where we tend to if someone's successful we look for a way to laugh at them it, it's just something australians do you know like in america they respect the president yeah. generally speaking a lot of people might not like the president but they still respect he's a president of the united states Whereas in Australia, everyone just laughs at the Prime Minister all the time. Just want to pull jokes. him down. Yeah, it's just something we do. Yeah. We have very little respect, put it yeah, that way. That's true. Did, did you receive much fallout from this article? I always get people who don't agree with me. Right. Um, people who say that I'm missing the point or who say, yes, but that doesn't apply to me, that kind of thing. And you know, I always say to them, sure, it might not apply to you, but it will apply to a lot of people. Yeah. And even if you disagree with me personally, there's a lot of people who should learn from this. And I tend to stand by what I've written. You know, I won't write something if I don't thoroughly believe it. And how do you, I mean, you write a lot, right? And this is mm. one of the things I was keen to ask you about. How do you, how do you write so much and it's clearly very tightly edited? It's not just, you know, one of my bugbears when people just slam out a piece and publish it. And you can always tell when they've almost haven't even reread it themselves once, mm. right? Yeah. Writing, I mean, I mean it was... Um, Mark Twain, who said, uh, I'm going to write you a long letter because I didn't have time to write you a short letter, right? It's, it's hard. To, it's really difficult to write clearly and properly. Well, how do you find the time for... How many articles do you publish, by the way? What's sure. your? I mean, like, every week I tend to shoot for five articles. That's what I, what I really like to go for. Right. 
it doesn't always happen. Right. Life gets in the way sometimes. Um, but if it's a good week, I'll publish five articles, maybe more. How I find the time to do it, it's pretty much, I treat writing as the biggest priority in my life outside of my fiance and my family. So a day doesn't, a day isn't finished. I can't get into bed and just turn off the lights if I haven't written something. Even if it's not something I publish, every day I have to write. It's just, it's a part of my daily process. And um, I mean, d- uh, why, how did you get into the sort of the startup angle of writing though? And, and yep. another question as well is you write with, uh, about startups, you write with a sophistication about it of, um, that's not very common in Australia as well. That's, as I mentioned, I was very surprised mm-hmm. that you were Australian because you write with a very interesting big picture perspective that's, that's not that easy to find in Australia. Well, I guess I kind of I come from a different angle. So um, when I first got into entrepreneurship, it wasn't to build a tech startup. You know, I got into it because I was building a music management company. So I had a real small business approach to it, which then kind of expanded to look at other companies, other forms of entrepreneurship. But I didn't come up from the whole the whole scene. You know, like I wasn't a part of the scene. I was outside of it looking in. And, and it has evolved a little bit in Sydney into a scene, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a startup scene pretty much anywhere people care about startups. Yeah. And, it, and it is... It's like a music scene. I, I, I used to play punk rock, used to manage punk rock bands and everything like that. And there was a definite scene in which there were some bands who were cool and some bands who weren't. And you'd laugh at these people over there because they didn't fit in quite right. And these people were the cool kids because they had the, the newest vans and were on their feet and all this kind of stuff. And it was, it was this scene that was all, all based on these unwritten rules of what was cool and what was not. And I kind of see that a, a lot with, with startups as well. You know, it's the same, but the same scene mentality. It's it's a pack. It's it's this clique. But it has. I mean, I mean the Sydney scene, yeah, um, you know, has improved in in the good sense of the word as well. I think yeah. I think Airtree Ventures yesterday or this week announced <coughs> a a massive big new fund. I think it's about two hundred and fifty million Australian dollars, which is big for Australia. Yeah, yeah. Really, I mean that's. I mean, if, if, if startups only need about a million dollars for a, a seed round, I mean, that, that's almost 250 companies. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, I love Australian startups. Like, I don't want to get on, th- on the wrong foot here. I really believe in a, lo- a lot of what these people are doing, you know, particularly Blue Chili, um, particularly Airtree. The stuff they're working on is great. Um, we we need a few more big exits, though. Yeah, that's right, yeah. We'll get there. But we also need people to keep doing the work that people like Blue Chili and Atlassian and so on are doing, where they're yeah. really investing in the community and they're putting money into events and into programs and into education and they're trying to really build up better better startup founders, better startup teams, better developers and so on. I love that investment and I think if that continues, we're going to have a great scene. We will. I think uh, in typical Australian style, I think it's sort of a little bit slowly but surely. Yeah. You know, just like the way Atlassian Campaign Monitor mm. um, sort of grew up and ourselves managed to grow up out of the bootstrapped, you know, just chipping away just every day, just making a little bit of progress. I, qu- I sort of quite like it that we look out. I don't know if you realize we look out onto Atlassian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is sort of, it's quite, when, when we were looking for news in space and I noticed that, I thought, that's sort of cool, you know. They um, they they the poster child of the the tech industry, and you sometimes see Mike wandering around. I actually see him more often at uh, my local organic store, mm. organic food store. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. with his family, and um, but um, yeah, I agree. It's um, it's it it, it, it is different. Um, it's easy to look at the negatives, you know. Like 
if you meet a few people at, at meetups that you don't that you don't get along well with, or if you meet some rude people, or if if they are getting really sceney, then you know it's easy to, to form a quick opinion or to to feel kind of irritated with the scene. But then you look at the people doing great things, and you can't help but feel a bit of hope and some encouragement, and motivation. I think, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think somehow humans are tuned into negativity or, or critique a little bit more naturally. But I think, you know, if I were to look at Australian sort of the, the tech world, um, two, two small bugbears I have after spending a bit of time in the States. One is um, some of these incubators and um, accelerators, they've got mentors to the entrepreneurs that have never been entrepreneurs. Mm. Yeah, you know, and that's, you know, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe there is some argument for it. Maybe you can be a swimming coach by never having been a top swimmer yourself. I don't know, but I find that a little bit strange always when they have a corporate chap mentoring that, and then I see that a bit. Um, the other, the, the other slight bugbear I have is, is sometimes, you know, in the in, in the US. Um, in SF in New York, there's a there's a real feeling of collaboration and support and in 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 contacts, in advice, uh, generosity. Uh, I still feel sometimes in Australia there's a little bit of territorialism mm. about around contacts and, you know, and and about ideas. And I don't know if that's because maybe there's more abundance in the US and people think, oh well, you know, if I put you in touch with some people, there's a million of other good people, and it's not doesn't mean that you're going to get funding, which means I'm not going to get funding, and it's not that zero loss sum game. And maybe it's because we're a little bit smaller here. There's a little bit more territorialism o uh, over it. I'm I'm not sure. Um, yeah, and no, I think I it I is changing. Vibe, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think as it, as it grows, it'll get better. But maybe right now people are are worried about who's looking over their shoulder. You know that if they're building something cool, they don't want that whatever they're building to be taken away from them or to be eclipsed by something else. And we, may, we maybe haven't seen enough success to learn that everyone can share success. Absolutely, there's enough to go around. Yeah, I always yeah. Say. And the other thing is, you know, when, when it comes to any kind of startup community like Sydney, if one company succeeds, that looks great for everyone else. Every single hit helps the rest of us. Absolutely, trickle down effect. Yeah, I mean, look at Atlassian. Like, because they were so successful, now they've been great for Australia. It'll keep happening. We get taken seriously now. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, which is which is terrific. Um, another one of your articles, which I really really liked, um, was the one on growth. Yeah, yeah. Um, how to make growth happen in a startup, and you've got some great, um, great sort of nuggets there. Um, businesses scale with people. Uh, businesses scale with process. Um, developers can be so cynical sometimes to process, and I always say to them, you know, process frees you yeah. because you don't have to think other except about the technical problem at hand, and the process does that thinking for you. You know, businesses scale by cutting the fat. I think this is, if, you, if you're just starting out with a startup or even just along your way, a lot of, a lot of food for thought in this article. I think um, for me the processes one kind of comes from the fact that it's always tough to bring new people into a company and it's tough to make the things that, you're, that you've already created bigger. And if you don't have some kind of guideline to follow, if you don't have the right, you know, even if it's just a bunch of checklists, if you don't have processes in place, it's going to make everything so much harder. Um, if you have all the right processes for your company, 
then every single time you get a new customer, every single time you scale your business by 10, every time a new intern starts, that should all be like ready to go, all handled, all the information you need, everything that should happen task by task, step by step in your processes. And you can just run those processes and watch your business function. And that's kind of why they're so important. And I've worked in heaps of companies where they had absolutely zero processes, you know, and it was a disaster. People would, you know, like something would go wrong and they'd be like, well, what the fuck happens now? Because we have no document to, to go through this. You know, how do we get this new person on board? How do we deal with this crisis? What happens? I think the art is, and this is the art of the startup, is it's like architecting a system, you know. I always say if you over-engineer it or you under-engineer it, you've got it wrong, Yeah. you yeah. know. And I think process is a little bit the same. Yeah. And, you know, we are a small business of only about, you know, 12, 15 people. Um, you would think I would know exactly who, how many on the payroll, but somehow um, I lose count every now and then. And, um, you know, even for us, it's sometimes I think, you know, some things aren't worth process. We'll sort of deal with it if and when it happens. Other things, very much the process is required. And I think the art is very much knowing um, where that sweet spot is. You know, mm. I think we've all, d we've, we've all dealt with companies where, where process just... You know, you want to get something simple done and they have to go through the process and mm. makes absolutely no sense. Yep. You yep. know. And for me, I guess a process is not something that you have to do. A process is there so that when you don't know what to do, you've got an answer. And I think um, I like I like your um, point here as well that uh, make sure that if you're committed to scale, you're also committed to empowering your people to, to do what must be done and you're ready to trust them. And I just... Mm. You know, I think uh, so much, and it's such a cliche, everyone says, you know, it's your people, it's your people, it's your team, it's your people. But, I mean, that's essentially what you're saying there, is like empowering your people and you're ready to trust them. And that all comes down to hiring right. And boy, is that easier said than done. Yeah, I mean, like, you never know if someone can or can't do something until you just give it to them and, and watch what they do. It's like if you if you if you got a kid, I, I worked in childcare for a few years, um, and when we were teaching the kids how to ride bikes, you didn't know if a kid could or couldn't ride the bike if they still had the training wheels on. Sooner or later, you had to take those training wheels off, let them ride their bike, and if they fell over and hurt themselves, they'd still get better at riding the bike. Yeah, and but if you never let them, then you never know. It's just like that. And the interesting thing is as well, you know, Google used to firstly only hire people that had, I think, master's degrees or higher. Yeah. They used to put them through this crazy interview process, right, with like, um, you know, how many manholes are there in Australia and, you know, what would the cost of, like all these crazy sort of academic style questions, meet a zillion people. They then did research. Firstly, they pulled that master's criteria, right? Um, they found um, not a very strong correlation necessarily with formal education. But then also what they found interestingly is you reach a point in the interview process where you actually can't get more data. You know, you'll meet, they'll maybe meet with two or three members of the team, do a technical test. Beyond that, mm. they can meet more people, they can do more tests. You're actually not gonna get any more visibility into the person. It's, it's 
you either make a choice to hire them or not hire them but that whole process just the results when they gave them a crazy number of interviews and an average number of interviews in terms of retention and performance was about the same yeah you know and i keep saying it to the team here as well when we meet a candidate and we marginal about them or something and sometimes you say oh we should meet or chat to and usually if we meet them or chat to them again sort of land up at the same position at, the, at leading to your point you've got there's always going to be risk yeah, in hiring right, someone yeah. you can't you can't eliminate that yeah. and there's the positive surprises where people go wow i never expect you know that mm -hmm. type of delivery and the negative ones where mm, i was expecting quite a bit more there now for me the biggest thing when you hire anyone is watching for when they fuck up because you want your hires to fuck up sooner or later and the reason is that's when you get a real understanding of, of a person's caliber is when they do something wrong because a really good hire is someone who's worth keeping on the team if something goes wrong and it's their fault they'll go to you and say hey i did something wrong and i think we should fix it by doing this but i really want to hear how you think we should fix it but a bad hire will go to you and say this went wrong but it wasn't my fault because of x y and z and it was probably your fault and it was someone else's fault and all these things and you only really understand how good a person is when they're in that situation yeah, I mean, I think that's a very good point. And um, taking responsibility. Yeah. And it is, in the tech industry, it's very easy to blame. You can say, well, you know, the previous developer didn't use best practices. I've heard that so many times. Or, yeah. oh, man. you know, and it's like, well, this is the real world, you know. It's like, um, you know, Luca, who's one of our developers, I mean, when he's fixed a few tricky things, and I said to him, you know, Luca, Thanks so much. You pulled off some good stuff. And he looks at me and he says, Kevin, we had no choice. Just had to fix it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just, I just love that because it's true. You got to get shit done, yeah, right? Yeah. And you got to get shit done. If, and if you don't want to get shit done or you want to hide behind excuses, I don't know, startups, definitely not, not, not your bag. You yeah. Know? In terms of, you know, screwing things up, I read an interesting article on Quora, which by the way is my favorite site. Do you write, you should write answers on Quora. I should. I spend all the time reading. Yeah, yeah, you like should. I read on there constantly. I, I find the craziest stuff, you know. like It's a great site, right? Yeah. Like, absolutely no theme to what I read. It's just I go into this weird black hole of information and disappear for hours. When, when uh, I feel like, you know, Cora is sort of almost like gives me the feeling when I first discovered the World Wide Web back mm. in 93 or whenever it was, um, one of our family friends says it's uh, we went to his house to try it out and he said i feel like i'm christopher columbus when i'm surfing <laughs> the web <laughs> i'll never forget that it was really great um but i read a great answer on cora about something like um you know what was your biggest uh, career stuff up in mm -hmm. life or something like that and how you dealt with it and a doctor a pediatrician a emergency room a casualty pediatrician um, wrote an answer and he said a kid came in with some abdominal pain he had had a bicycle fall during the day um, quite bad pain checked out all the x-rays everything kid was fine sent him home said if you have any more pain come straight back long story short the kid came back in a couple of hours dead all right he this doctor had missed some very hard to diagnose perforated um sort of um, intestine or something that the perforation just causes a very quick galloping infection and you know this doctor said obviously he was you know he was distraught by it and it's all terrible and but he said he teaches to his 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 um, students now and which was this you know uh, a point your point in a way if you do something long enough 
you're going to screw it up sooner or later. And unfortunately, doctors deal with, with lives and, and their mess-ups are going to be lives. I always say to the team here, when we screw up something, um, at least we, we're not in the business of saving lives. That's know? right. I mean, that's what I w- I've been thinking recently with the um, you know, some of the Tesla autopilot problems is that you know, a couple of people have been hurt or lost their lives, and that's awful. But at the same time, like it was going to happen sooner or later if we we're going to have this kind of technology. And so I guess it's understanding that awful things don't necessarily mean that it's the end of the world. It just means, shit, something really bad happened, and we have to acknowledge that, and then we have to find a way to move past it. Yeah, and there's a gift in it. And I mean, even with him, he said, um, you know, for, for this doctor, he ramped up this training to the pedi- pediatricians around this particular mm. um, issue that's very hard to diagnose, mm. you know, and... Um, if you do something long enough, you're going to screw it up sooner yeah. or later, you know? And, I, and yeah. I say to the team here, I say, I'm okay with you making mistakes. Like I, mm. Because if, if, if you have an environment where people are very scared, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg's famous, you know, move fast and break things, right? Mm. Like, you know, we, we, we are going to break things, but hopefully we architect it in a way that, that we fix them up and, and on we yep. go with it. Yeah, but and I, I guess it's also a matter of thinking um, about the things you're moving fast and breaking. And, and putting in the right safeguards depending on what that is, you know. So, I mean, obviously Tesla take it very seriously because if they break things, that could be people's lives. So they have safeguards in place and they work hard to protect people's safety. Um, and that's that's a tough position to be in. So if, if, if you're working on a product that doesn't have that kind of, th- those kind of stakes, you know, you're pretty privileged and lucky as well. If, if you're building a web app and it doesn't work for a bit, then that's going to be frustrating for your users, but they won't die. And, you know, that's something to be thankful for. It's, it reminds me of the um, Louis C.K. skit where um, everything's amazing and no one's happy. Or yeah. Something you know yeah, that yeah. skit where the guy the guy was on the plane and the Wi-Fi is not working and he goes, "This is bullshit, man! <laughs> this is bullshit!" And this guy was so angry. And Louis C.K. is like, "Really? You're in this little tube in the sky and accessing all the information in the world." Mm. You know, there's the the expectations these days are absolutely massive. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think Facebook and Google in our in the in the SaaS world, Facebook and Google and Twitter and these companies have done an amazing job of getting all the tech right and Apple right. So there's a huge expectation on the uh, availability and things like that. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, some people might not remember of even just the 2000s when. Um, hardware in the web world would fail a lot, right? Yeah. So websites would stop working because a web host's, you know, your your server at a web host had a disk failure. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Right, and it was down for a few hours while they sort of replaced the disk and poured mm. it over the data. E- these days, even the hardware issues don't happen at the, you know, there's yeah, yeah, which so people's expectations, which is a good thing. The industry's been, it's almost a success has set set this crazy expectation you know I but at the end of the I day was this, um, this article a couple months back and i can't remember who wrote it but it was fantastic it was about how tech isn't failing we are pushing the tech that we have to the very limits of what it can do and then we're complaining when it starts to stutter a bit and yeah you know, the whole idea was the reason your laptop gets slow or your phone crashes every now and then is not because we don't have the technology to make it work. It's that we are pushing that technology as as far as it possibly can go, and sooner or later that's going to run into some problems. And you know, because we're always pushing this stuff, we have these expectations that it's going to work on the bleeding edge, but <laughs> the bleeding edge doesn't run like that. 
But what, what fascinates me, you know, is that we went to the moon on some such rudimentary tech, you know, mm. and my theory is we made it to the moon because of competition, mm. right? Because yeah. if Russia didn't exist, we probably still wouldn't be on the moon, yeah, yeah. you know? So the human layer and the psychology around all of this, yeah, you know, and I, 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 it's a little bit of a left field example, but um, about 10 years ago or a bit over 10 years ago, I was in hospital for a couple of days for just nothing major. But anyway, my, my sister and my mother were really nice to me that they knew that pizza was my favorite food, right? Oh, my, yeah. my sister started first and she started making me homemade pizza. And my, <laughs> my brother-in-law said to me at the time, he whispered, I bet you your mother's going to start making it too. Because <laughs> she's like, <laughs> and suddenly my mother's like, I'm making homemade pizza for you too. <laughs> you know, and I think... You know, I think amongst all this fancy tech and cloud servers and AWS and, you know, and AR and VR and, you know, buzzword here, buzzword there. Um, you know, when you're running a business, at the end of the day, it's the, the human layer, mm. you know, and we spoke about the hiring and all of that. But at the end of the day, there's people, people coming in here and people have motivations and things like competition and 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 things like you know i always as a as a as a leader i always remind myself every day that you know my team they go home and they chat to their partners about their job right mm. it's like they're, they're not just a resource that's churning out they go and and they and they think about their job and they you know when they're around a, a barbecue on the weekend that's what they talk about you know the human layer is is incredibly incredibly important yeah i mean like I was reading something on Medium. Um, I think it was over the weekend. It was a blog post called um, Employees Don't Change the World, Founders Do. And it just kind of really annoyed me. <laughs> I, I kept on thinking almost all the changes that happened in the world were actually made by employees, not by founders. Founders created the, the, the spark and the catalyst, and they made, th they made things happen. They brought teams together. But the work that changed the world was done by employees. You know, like, you, you mentioned space travel there. We went from, in 1914, pilots had the first ever aerial dogfight in, in aircraft because a German pilot and I think a French pilot flew past each other in biplanes and fired pistols at each other. And 50 years later, we went to the moon. And that happened because people worked their asses off. It wasn't bec just because a founder had an idea or a scientist had an idea. It was because teams of people worked late at night to make technology progress and to come up with ideas and do big things and so i think when you when you kind of idolize founders and you ignore the contributions that employees make it's, it's very short-sighted and i think smart founders not only realize that but in a way they are those employees as well yeah yeah you know they they um <coughs> They don't get into this um, figurehead type role. Yeah. You know, and I think that's why there's a stat around founder led businesses. I, I posted on the Sydney Startup um, Facebook group um, a while back that, you know, the returns in businesses that are founder led are quite a bit higher mm. on average. And it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, because they, the founder you know is in the trenches there yeah. but but definitely the employees and i think i think smart founders they they get that that y you know it is an absolute team mm. effort and um you know it, it's I, I always perceive us as a we and an us yeah and um the success 
is always shared and um, I'd like to think even that it's one step ahead for the employers. I think, I think it's a very underrated career strategy is to attach yourself to a founder that gets it, mm. you know, and you can benefit from a lot of the upside and actually shield yourself from quite a bit of the downside. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think, I think also founders who, who have that understanding of, you know, of their employees are founders who have been employees you know, who've had a job and they've had jobs they hated and they've had jobs they loved and they know what the difference was and that's why they're good at running a company and that's why they're good at looking after people. I think it's very important to have gone through that yourself. And um, John, we it's been a great chat. I think I think you and I could just keep on going, but we'll... We uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's always... Um, and uh, I'm sort of intrigued that you started out in childcare, which is... Definitely. Yeah, and I've done a lot of weird stuff, man. Um, childcare was one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life. Yeah? In, in yeah. Uh, what made it so? Um, I love kids. I really do. Um, working with kids is so rewarding. They are full of ideas and inspiration and just Purity, craziness. right? Yeah, and like they want to make stuff. They want to play football until they can't even get up anymore because they're so exhausted. But then you'll you'll give them a, a piece of paper and a pen, and they'll just start drawing, and suddenly all their energy comes back. And kids are awesome; they really are. It's um, I remember there's uh, you know they there was a project to have you know one laptop per child or some mm. one of these projects, and um, it was some th they made some sort of really ruggerized but cheap laptop mm. and i think they put some sort of uh, linux version yeah. on it but they locked it down essentially anyway within um, within two weeks or something these kids that had never touched a computer before mm. had just hacked these yeah. <laughs> laptops yeah they just stuck with it worked it out pushed buttons discovered somehow within two weeks yeah. just they were just in there yeah uh, you, you ever want to feel dumb you should play Connect Four with a bunch of eight-year-olds, because kids see patterns, yeah. and in a way that adults just don't, and they will beat your ass at Connect Four. They really will. Yeah, and no, I love kids too. There's a definite, um, there's a definite unfiltered aspect to them. Oh, they're fun. They're just fun to hang out with, you know. Which is so. Um, so yeah, childcare into into the startup world and some <laughs> other bound you know, bounced around other bits and pieces along the way. Yeah, so I, I started working in childcare after a business failed pretty badly and I didn't know what to do. I dropped out of law school as well at the same time. I was pretty directionless. I just needed to get a job and I happened to get a job in childcare and I loved it. It was great. Um, when I eventually left to take on a new startup role, it was actually really hard to leave the kids because you know you really bond with them and you, know, you hang out every day with them and you, you talk and you just hang out. and It was great, but yeah. Um, that was one of my weird detours that I did. I've had twice in my life where I've been around kids and initially I thought, ah, oh, this is going to be a pain. I was once was, I spent two weeks in Israel and I sublet a beautiful rooftop apartment and I woke up the next morning with the kids singing, um, good morning to each other in Hebrew. And my initial response, oh no, I'm going to be woken up every morning. And then by the second day, I was like, man, this is, this is so sweet and Absolutely, beautiful. Yeah, I love that. The second time was one of the, the, the co-work spaces that Kim Harris has um, in Bondi Junction. And, um, and it's, it's on the same floor is um, a childcare center. Mm. 
and every now and then a baby would cry and I was like, oh, geez, you know, as if life isn't hard enough <laughs> in this startup <laughs> world. But just seeing these cute little mini humans come in yeah. and out and just around, and I was just like, it was just really, by the end of it, I was yeah. like, wow, I'm going to miss miss Absolutely, having them yeah, around. Yeah. Um, so, John, tell me, what are you up to these days? What's, uh, what's, what's your day today? What do you, you know, you obviously write tons and tons on Medium. Mm-hmm. Um, five articles a week, which to write five good articles is is pretty intensive. Besides that, uh, founder at Creatomic, which is your um, your sort of vehicle to do your own work. Yeah, that's right. So at Creatomic, it's a mixture of coaching people, so coach them to grow their startups, to develop their marketing, to improve their productivity, but also um, building online courses, helping to educate people, and doing a lot of consulting for different companies. So I, I, that's kind of my passion thing. I do that because I love it. And you're also the CMO at Speedlancer. Tell us about Speedlancer. Yeah. So Speedlancer is an awesome freelance platform that um, it's been around for a few years now. We're a, a 500 startups alumnus, which is pretty cool. Uh, we are a, a platform where you can go and buy freelance tasks that scale. So the idea is if you want a blog post done, rather than going on like Odesk or something like that and pitching what you want and submitting a brief and interviewing people, all you do is you go on our site, you buy the task blog post, and then we'll assign it to a like a, a first-class writer, people who have written for you know, Inc.com or Entrepreneur Magazine, and we'll get them to write the blog post for you. So you know it, it kind of streamlines that whole workflow. So you don't actually have to find the person. You guys do that. You exactly, just actually yeah. define it. So it's different to yeah. Upwork where you actually put the brief and you have to sort of find the That's person. That's right, yeah. And I mean, like, there's some awesome stuff we're doing there. For example, we, we have a Slack bot called Shido, which is, you know, shit done. We'll get shit done. And you can you can get that bot in your Slack channel for your team and you can just tell the bot to do tasks for you. So you can say, I need a blog post on this topic. And then that bot will organize a freelancer to do it for you, debit your account and give you the finished work. And we use that in-house all the time, you know. So if we're talking about doing a marketing campaign and Adam, the, the CEO, says, hey, why don't we target these people? I can be like, great, Shido. Get me a list of all these companies that match, you know, match these these ideas, and then it'll just get me this list, and I can go and do awesome stuff. It's great. I love Slack. Yeah, Slack is amazing. And if you are listening and you're hearing the vacuum cleaner, that's uh <laughs> <laughs> that's our very professional studio, and um, it's actually um, almost almost. Um, after office hours, yeah, so our cleaner comes in t- um, <laughs> twice a week. That's a good business in Australia, cleaning. I don't know, I don't yeah, know how many other countries yeah. where cleaning's such a good business, but in Australia, cleaning is a fantastic business, right? Yeah, my, um, my fiancé is the operations manager at Urban U, uh-huh. which is a startup down in Bondi, um, and they do on-demand housekeeping services. So they have this, it's pretty much like Uber for housekeeping. I think, um, yeah, in, in, in Australia, it's sort of as a cleaner, you almost get get the same per hour as a sort of, I don't know, junior mid-grad, yeah. you know? I mean, for most startup founders, people working at McDonald's will get more per hour <laughs> than, than we yeah. do when we're starting out. <laughs> John, um, really enjoyed talking with you. I hope we can have you back sometime in the future. It's nice to have someone face-to-face. The virtual world gets a bit tedious. I've been talking to John Westenberg. Um, he is 
the founder at Creatomic, the CMO at Speedlancer. He is all over Medium and on Twitter as well at John Westenberg. As usual, we'll put it up on the show notes. John, thank you so much and uh, let's chat again in a few months. Thanks, man. Great to be here. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. Manage Flitter helps you to work smarter and faster on Twitter. With Manage Flitter, you can schedule tweets for appropriate times, gain insight into your Twitter connections, grow your Twitter account, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com for a free trial. Well, John and I um, went went all over the place in that interview. Uh, it's, uh, it, it was quite a... Uh, I think we both enjoyed that talk a lot. So one of... I mean, one of the areas that... Um, you know, is my passion, and we spoke a little bit about there, is, is the team side of things and hiring right. And John made an interesting point, you know, assessing team members. Um, you know, when things go wrong um, is definitely, you know, um, the crux of it. And, I mean, you've been involved with us in, in building the team. We're now up to about um, how many team members? I think we're about 15. We're about 15 in yep. total. So, I mean, it's, it's still in the scheme of things. It's a very small number. But um, in, a f- in a way, with the small team, hires are even more important because relatively speaking, they're contributing more. Yes, and you everyone know. has more to do with each other. Everyone sort of engages with each other directly. You can't sort of hide as easily. So in a, in a way, you've got to, you know, in a, in a way it gets easier the bigger you are. In a way it doesn't because there's more interactions and the permutations are more. But, um, you know, the percentage-wise is smaller as well. So with a small team, it's, um, you know, the challenge is, is, really, is really there to, to build a team. Yeah. I think it's important to have a, have a nice mix of people, um, but they all need to get along well. They need to get along well, but also sometimes I feel they also don't need to be best friends as well. No. No, you sometimes know, that can go the other way. That can go the other way. And particularly with, um, you know, I know there's all... Different policies and romances in the workplace as well, and it's, it makes sense that it happens. You know, people are people; they meet, they they click. Um, mm. But I, I know many a case of where there've been relationships in the workplace. It doesn't work out, and one of them has to leave because it's it's too uncomfortable, or there's problems, or politics, or things like that. But anyway, yeah. that's that's humans. That's life. Um, <laughs> which are you, you're a huge fan of Medium, and you read all of John's articles on Medium, don't you? Most of them, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> do any of his articles uh, stand out in your head? I was a big fan of, a little while ago, he was doing like 200 words a day uh-huh. um, on any sort of random uh, self-improvement style topic. Um, and I really like them. But I feel like at the moment he's sort of heading towards uh, more startup entrepreneur style articles. But still just as interesting. He's got, you know, John's got an incredible, succinct, clear style. And it's one of my frustrations um, with team members and, and with new grads in particular. Writing, communication, mm. you know, and, and, and not necessarily academic style essays, etc. But just, just nice, clear writing. Just clear, succinct writing. Boy, it's just, it's, it's, it's tricky, you know yeah. that it, uh, I, if I could sort of influence education policy in 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 a couple of ways, one would be bring in actually three ways. Now I'm going to put my education minister <laughs> hat on. One would be a lot of um, 
effort into self-awareness and communication in general. You know, things like meditation, mindfulness, being a kind person, compassion, all, all of that s- softer side of things. Second thing, tech side of things. Just immerse them in, in, in that. Get, you know, yeah. sh- everyone. Teach them in a different ways. You know, hands-on, demonstrating, expose them to all sorts of aspects of tech and, and get a code literacy up similar to maths literacy. Yeah, a um, basic understanding at least. And know what a computer language is and have written one program mm. in it. Third thing I would do is writing, 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 just writing, just write whatever job you're in. Like and particularly today, you know, the internet in a way has reinvigorated the spoken word. Yeah. In a way, it's become more important than years gone by where, where only a secretary wrote or some executive wrote. The rest just sort of we interacted. But now it's, you know, writing's everything. And it's just, it's I'm constantly, even job applications, cover letters. It's just, I, I wish I could create a blog for, the, <laughs> for, for, for what gets sent to me. Yeah. You know? And you don't have to be funny. You don't have to be super smart. Just clarity. Sometimes people just, even the simple task of just reread what you wrote. Just yes. a simple task of that. Run it through a spell check. Run it through a spell check. Get someone else to read it, whatever. Just, you know, and, and, you know, and obviously if English mm-hmm. is not your first language and you're working in English, you have to make triple the effort. But mm-hmm. you do. You need to make triple the effort, especially mm-hmm. if you want to sort of, you know, keep giving yourself opportunities yes. and creating opportunities for yourself. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the articles on the internet now, there's a, it's a different style to definitely what I learned at school anyway. It's sort of you need to state the most interesting parts first to grab someone's attention. There's no longer this introduction and a body then an ending. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, and that's you know, the traditional academic style versus what they call the inverse py- pyramid style. Yeah. You know, with, with hit them with the, the, the good bits first and then people can drill down into it. But um, yeah. And just separate your content, you know, chunk it so that people can scan. Needs to be scannable. Yeah. yeah. But jo- John, definitely check him out on uh, Twitter, um, John Westenberg, at John Westenberg on Medium. Um, check out his articles. He's, um, you know, and one of the things we touched on there as well was how the Sydney ecosystem is evolving and the fact that Sydney even has someone like John who's, you know, as I mentioned in the podcast, when I first read his articles, I thought he was from Silicon Valley. He just seemed to have this this perspective. Yeah. You know, that... He has a distinct voice. He's got a distinct voice and sophistication in his outlook that, that I just assumed it was, you know, he was American. And then when I thought he was in Sydney, I was like, that's great. And it's also just indicative that Sydney, we, we're evolving as an ecosystem and as a, as a startup environment, which is fantastic as well, mm. you know. It's exciting times. Exciting times. Um, anyway, I think that's about it for episode 64, probably a bit longer than we will usually have. Remember, every two weeks, subscribe to us with iTunes or, you know, your favorite podcast um, app. I use, I use Podcast Republic on my Android. I think it's Podcast Republic, and it's, it's fantastic. Um, I've set up all my podcasts. Yeah, it's Podcast Republic, great Android app. Um, but as mentioned, send us feedback. Keep on uh, um, checking in every two weeks or so. Uh, my guest, your co-host this week, has been uh, Kate Frappel. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram. I think you're more active on Instagram, aren't you? Uh, generally, yes. So a cr- Kate, a both. Kate Frappel with two P's and two L's. I have trained myself. Yes. 
Frappel, <laughs> not Frapple. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so check her out on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and um, we will um, talk to you in two weeks. And as usual, we'll have uh, an interview and some news. And um, in the meantime, uh, wherever you are, I hope you have a fantastic week. And also... A happy Jewish New Year to those celebrating. It's on, on Sunday night starts the new Jewish year. So Shana uh, Tova and happy Rosh Hashanah to, to those celebrating Jewish New Year. And um, it is goodbye from myself and Kate. And thanks for listening. <laughs>